All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talking, touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process Practice. I am Sasha Wolf, as usual, but sadly not joined as usual by my friend and producer, the extremely talented and big-hearted, I miss him, let's face it, uh, Michael Chauvin Dalton. Lonely, Michael, come home. Yep. The tropical storm definitely messed with our schedules, so not only are we dropping this episode a week late, but I couldn't coordinate to record with Michael for the first time ever. I feel like crying. Anyway, so I'm solo, so I'm going to be really quick because, frankly, I'm only entertaining and funny if I've got Michael with me. So let me tell you about today's episode. It was a great conversation with the photo director extraordinaire, Jacqueline Bates. And a big cleanup on aisle 10 uh, for today's episode is that we spend most of the episode talking about Jackie's role as the photo director for this incredible magazine that most of you probably know called California Sunday Magazine. But California Sunday uh, stopped printing about a little over a year ago, whether they're on hiatus or it, it's unclear what's going to happen there. But California Sunday Magazine is under the umbrella of Pop-Up Magazine. And Jackie is the photo director for this umbrella organization, Pop-Up Magazine, that does a lot of different things. And we do get to that. But Strangely, we get to it in like the last five minutes of the episode. So I'm going to just read what Pop-Up Magazine is so that you go into the episode. You don't have to wait for the last five minutes. Um, You have more of a sense of things. So Pop-Up Magazine, on their website, it says, Once upon a time, a small group of friends decided to create a live magazine. Writers, radio producers, photographers, filmmakers, and illustrators would perform new stories in all kinds of media mixed together. Stories about science, politics, pop culture, sports, social issues, music, business, art, crime, technology, food, and more. The night would unfold like a classic general interest magazine and end with the cast and audience mingling at the lobby bar. It was a hobby at first, but it grew. We held the first show in a small theater in San Francisco. Soon we moved to a 2,700-seat symphony hall and tickets sold out in minutes. Today, we produce shows in more than a dozen cities at venues like Lincoln Center and BAM in New York, the Theater at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles, and Davies Symphony Hall and the Paramount Theater in the San Francisco Bay Area. We work with Oscar-winning filmmakers, New York Times bestselling authors, popular radio and podcast voices, and artists whose work appears in international museums and magazines, as well as emerging talent. Their stories are vivid multimedia experiences accompanied by illustration, animation, photography, even dance or shadow theater, and often an original score performed on stage by our musical collaborators, Magic Magic Orchestra. So Pop-Up Magazine is amazing. I was at one pop-up in um, a town hall in New York City a number of years ago, and it just blew my mind. Really was incredible. 
Um, so Pop-Up Magazine also does other projects, and we do talk about that a bit during the episode, but I wanted to sort of give you the overview. So Pop-Up Magazine launched California Sunday Magazine that, that Jackie was also the uh, photo director for. And I just want to say something about California Sunday Magazine. California Sunday won a Pulitzer Prize. I don't think that comes up in the episode for feature writing in 2021 and was a finalist for 17 National Magazine Awards. This is over like a seven-year period, including for feature writing, reporting, photography, design, general excellence, and Magazine of the Year, and won three of those awards. It was the first title in 25 years to win the National Magazine Award for Photography in consecutive years. So in 2018 and 19, the Society of Publication Designers named California Sunday the Magazine of the Year. And it, that is just extraordinary, honestly, really, really amazing. So just wanted to, to say that because it, it's really just such an amazing achievement. And the team that did California Sunday Magazine should be recognized for, for that. So, okay, I'm rambling. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the wonderful photo director and human being, Jackie Bates. Jackie Bates, welcome to the podcast. This is, I mean, it's not exactly take two, because take one, (laughs) it's attempt number two. Yes, Hurricane Ida got in our way last week. It did. I was upstate on vacation with uh, my friend Matthew Pillsbury, and you were going to come up, and we were going to record live together um, up in Chatham outside so people would hear the, like, birds and the bees. I had this whole fantastic idea. And also Matthew was going to be sort of like my co-pilot because I thought that would be a lot of fun because he shoots on assignment a lot and would have questions you know, his own, his own questions. But yes, then Hurricane Ida happened. And suffice it to say, you literally couldn't get out of the city. So. Yeah, I was driving up the FDR and it was starting to flood. So I, I thought maybe I'll go in the morning. And then both the FDR and the Hudson River Parkway were still flooded. So I physically could not get up to you. And so yeah, here we are. We, th- <laughs> we thought about... Uh, Sending you a helicopter, but we don't have quite the budget for that. So, so yep, old school. Here we are. Um, but it's it's great to to have you on. And I I want to say before I ask you to tell everyone about yourself that you and I recently were uh, guest critiquers, critiquers, panelists. They called us experts, but. <laughs> I never, oh my God, what never would ever call um, myself that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we helped out our friends Greg Halpern and Alessandra Sanguinetti with their magnum mentees. We helped out uh, critiquing work, whatnot together. And, you know, you're my friend and I love you and I, I know that you're really brilliant. But I have to say, when we were doing that, you were just saying things to these students that blew my mind. And I was like, oh, my God, Jackie thinks in a way like we have so many similarities in the way we think about work. But then there are these real differences because of what we do and how we use photography. And I just was so 
floored by a lot of the things that you were saying that I was like, please come on the podcast. That's that's what happened. So thanks, Sasha. It's very kind that of you. I've embarrassed you. <laughs> so so let's do what we always do, which is just tell the listeners you know, about yourself and what you do and and how you got to to where you are today. Yeah. So I love that we're doing the podcast now. I'm starting a new chapter in my life, returning to New York after, I think, nine years of living in San Francisco. And I'm back closer to family, keeping my same wonderful job. But I love being back in New York. Fall is upon us. But I didn't start working in photography or thinking about photography until my teens. But I grew up in a really musical household. My mom is a classically trained pianist, composer. So my first kind of venture into the arts was more in the performing arts. So I grew up studying piano, the cello, which I recently took up again, but I've already quit to start Spanish. <laughs> and and uh, so my mom really, ex- you know, brought my brother and I to Philip Glass uh, concerts, wow. to the opera, to experimental theater. And so after piano and cello, I started uh, playing the guitar during my Kurt Cobain phase. And so from music, I then studied acting and would take the train to New York every Saturday for a bunch of years, which was interesting because I grew up so shy. I was so, so shy. And there was something I loved about creating a story about a person, an imagined person. And so I studied acting for a few years and then, you know, had my... (laughs) I even um, auditioned for the Babysitter's Club movie and got a call back. And I really enjoyed it and kind of thinking about all of the pieces or all of the people involved in the making of movies. Um, But then really, you know, a shy person is not, I don't know, I didn't really feel like I had it in me to do the whole acting thing. Uh, So I studied fashion design at Parsons. Again, all these Saturday programs, I would take the train in from Connecticut because I lived an hour outside of the city, just getting immersed in New York. And so after fashion design class, I discovered that Parsons did a summer program in Paris. And so it took me a year to save up working at Gap Kids for five fifty six an hour. And so I studied at Parsons Paris Uh, for photography, because I had always taken pictures of my friends and family and the landscape where I grew up in Connecticut. And so uh, I did that when I was 16. And we had a visit with Magnum uh, Paris, the director there. And so learning all about the archive and what they did, and they, they were just an incredible, iconic agency. And so when I got back to uh, Connecticut, I applied for an internship there. And actually, Kim Boris was the one who hired me, who now runs Hire Pictures. So I've known her for ages. And I'm not really sure why she hired me, because my resume had probably two things on it, including working at the Westport Country Playhouse at the concession stand. So (laughs) she saw something in me, and I am grateful for that. And so I worked in the archive there. So magazines would write to Magnum uh, and say, we're looking for a picture of a sunset. 
And so I would physically go back into the archive and thumb through the sunset folder. And the archive was at the very beginning stages of being digitized. And of course, now it's all digitized. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go to school for photography. And while I was in school, I interned at museums, galleries, and magazines because I was, I loved taking pictures for myself. My work was always about my Italian American family, but I knew that I had to support myself in the freelance photography life. That's a hustle. And I didn't know mm -hmm. if I would be able to have a consistent paycheck because I had very real student loans. And so I interned at Jane Magazine, Art News Magazine. All I did was return artwork to galleries and museums, which you know, seems like it would be very administrative and boring, but that was a way that I was able to learn where all the galleries were and where the museums were in New York. And so I graduated from SVA and got a job at Interview Magazine, two weeks out of school as a photo assistant. And I really like the pace of making a magazine and also how collaborative it is. Every issue, I'd be working with a new set of contributors so from photographers, writers, stylists, hair and makeup, celebrities, artists, being surrounded by a different group of people for each issue. And also being part of an editorial team and the discussions around covering a specific story and how, what the approach might be and how to shed new light on a topic and then really understanding that process of editing together that series of stories to make a whole cohesive issue. Mm -hmm. And in college, I worked for the Whitney Museum and, and for two years worked there. And I think we worked on two things, the Ed Ruscha Photography right. Show and uh, Rye McGinley's first museum show. And I, I loved the, the power, the impact of working at a museum but I felt like the fast-pacedness of publishing was more intriguing to me at that time. And mm -hmm. here we are, X amount of years later, still working in publishing. Mm -hmm. So I worked at Interview Magazine for just short of a year, but it felt like it was, you know, five years because of, because of the small staff that worked there. Um, tiny team, crazy deadlines a wonderful and demanding editor-in-chief. But I learned so much because it was a two-person photo department. It was me, the mm -hmm. photo assistant, and the photo editor. And so very early on, I wasn't just processing invoices. The photo editor left the magazine at the time, and I was there in the photo department by myself just, you know, a couple months out of college producing cover stories and that's amazing and dealing with, amazing. you know, because yeah. Ingrid Sishi, the editor in chief was friends with all the famous artists and photographers. And so I was really immersed in that very early on. And after interview, I went over to Elle magazine for actually five years. But two of those years, I was part time because I went to grad school back to SVA. Uh, Tina Barney was my thesis advisor there. Wonderful program. I love going to school in New York. And um, I, I wanted to get my MFA to have maybe a more rigorous training and also to eventually teach. 
And so I was at Elle, which is kind of the opposite of Interview Magazine. Interview is, you know, started by Andy Warhol in 1969. He used to pass out interviews on the streets of New York. And then going to Elle Magazine, which I think people would say mass with class. And so the circulation is over a million. And so that challenge was how do you create interesting imagery that actually is going to appeal to most of America, as opposed to Mm -hmm. just being this downtown cool magazine who cares about Mm -hmm. you and and if you like Mm -hmm. what you're looking at. And so after Elle, I went to actually my dream magazine, W Magazine. And so W, I used to study, used to study all the magazines in college and the library because I couldn't afford to buy them. And so W was this perfect mashup of art, fashion, and celebrity And when Dennis Friedman was the creative director, that was when I was in school looking at the fashion stories that he created alongside P.L. DeCorsia, Larry Sultan. They were just mesmerizing to me. How can something be so artful in this magazine that's for hundreds of thousands of people to see? Mm -hmm. And so I fell in love with fashion photography because of those years at W. So I went to W. I took a demotion. I was a senior editor at L. I went to be a photo editor at W, but it doesn't matter about your title. I think people really get caught up in what their titles are on the masthead, but mm-hmm. for me, it didn't matter. I wanted to be immersed with the cream of the crop, the A-list photographers, the hair and makeup, the stylists, because they just created magic. And so that was the last magazine that I worked for, and I think my favorite shoot that we did was one of my last. We photographed the wonderful actress Jessica Chastain, and we commissioned Renica Dykstra to photograph her. George Kondo created a painting where we um, photographed her in the painting. And um, (laughs) we closed down the Brooklyn Museum when Micheline Thomas was having her retrospective there and photographed her in some of Micheline's sets that she would create. So I loved I loved that. I think Renica's was my favorite shoot because Jessica was just so pared down. She shot it on four by five. Renica worked so slow, so intimate, hardly any makeup. You know, her hair was just washed. It was just so gorgeous and special. And then I left uh, fashion magazines to go to California and not work in magazines anymore. Uh, I had never worked anywhere else. I had never lived anywhere else besides New York and Connecticut, and I wanted to explore the exotic land of California. Mm-hmm. And so I left New York and, and moved to California to try to see if I might challenge myself to get out of journalism and work for companies like Google and Apple that are, are known on a global scale and how I might take my editorial storytelling training and tell stories for a more a global audience, less niche, like Interview Magazine with such a small circulation. And I wanted to challenge myself. Mm-hmm. So 
you went out without a job. You just yeah, I went out without a job. I would still freelance for W and fly down to LA to oversee some of their celebrity shoots Mm -hmm. um, because it was cheaper to send me from San Francisco than flying in from New York. My the day I got to San Francisco, actually the day after I flew down to LA, and we had Lauren Greenfield photographing Jackie Collins, and I'm actually looking at the book that Jackie Collins inscribed Uh, for me. It's called Hollywood Wives, and she says, "From one Jackie to another." It's my prized (laughs) prized possession. And so so I did that for a bit. And then Jillian Laub, who's a wonderful artist, she's a friend of yours, she's a friend of mine. Yeah. She introduced me to Carrie Levy, who is also an artist, but had been working in San Francisco in magazines. And now she's, you know, been in tech for a bit as creative director. But Jillian said, you have to meet Carrie Levy. Because I moved out there basically with no friends, too. I have one or two friends. And Carrie Levy, who I know from her New York days, is a delicious person. Yes, she's the best. And so Jillian said, yeah. this is going to be your best friend. And I said, okay, Jillian. And so Carrie <laughs> That's and I... so Jillian. Oh my God, I love that. That's so And so Jillian. Carrie and I went out on a friend date and then I think she told Carrie told her husband that night, you know, I'm in love with Jackie. And so the rest is history. So Carrie left Wired Magazine to go to Airbnb. And so she brought me on to help her art direct their massive rebrand campaign. And so we traveled around to six different countries, very big budget. And Carrie Levy, by the way, for our listeners, was a photographer, a fine art photographer. It, I mean, it's just interesting to me and maybe to people, hopefully to people listening, that someone like Carrie, who's art directing at Airbnb, was a gallery artist. You know, she had a gallery in New York City and and was a photographer, but decided to sort of do something else. But, you know, people's backgrounds are, are really so interesting. Yeah, she and I never knew each other in New York. So were these two New Yorkers out in San Francisco, I think since New then. New York photographers. Yeah. yeah, and so many, so many people have since moved out West. I think everyone in magazines, most of my friends now work in tech. So Carrie and I never knew each other in New York because I was always working for fashion magazines and she was working for like Newsweek. And and so we did the Airbnb rebrand campaign. And then I was introduced to Doug McGray, who was starting a new magazine, which, and you know, someone starting a new magazine and I guess we maybe met, uh, we probably met in early 2014. Anyone who's starting a magazine now, you know, you're kind of like, okay, you're a little... Crazy. uh, Crazy good. Yeah. So Doug reached out for this new magazine that he was going to be starting. And I had always worked for magazines that had been around for decades. Right. You know, W, L, Interview... And and so the idea of creating the visual identity for a new magazine was so intriguing and appealing to me, but also so scary. And, uh, you know, I wanted to not meet with him because I didn't know if I could do it. But I think those Mm -hmm. opportunities are always the ones that you should listen to your gut. If you're scared, it probably means that you're going to really grow from it. And so I met with him. We talked about my sensibility, what I was doing out in San Francisco. And he asked me if there was one word to describe 
what the photography would look like for a magazine if I were to be the photo director. And I would say the photography would look cinematic. And he said, well, that's my word too. And so basically after that, I knew I had the job. <laughs> and so... <laughs> of all the words and all the world. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, several months later, we our first issue came out October 2014. And so there was probably six months or so that I was just putting together mood boards because California Sunday, all I had to go on was the few sentence description of what he told me. And so I went off of that of like, who I thought should be in this magazine. And so that was really an incredible experience working also alongside our creative director, Leo Jung. Leo is the first hire, I was the second hire. So that shows you that Doug and Chaz, our publisher, take design and photography really seriously. The fact that we were the first hires for a new general interest magazine. You know, normally you would start with the editorial staff, writers and editors. And what was California? What is California Sunday Magazine? We can talk about why I just said was is. I'll let you tackle that. But but tell people who don't know California Sunday about this incredible magazine that you guys created. So California Sunday is a magazine that tells stories about people in the American West, Latin America, and Asia. And so we started the magazine in October 2014. Uh, we made 40 print issues. Our last print issue was April 2020. And it was available in the San Francisco Chronicle, the Los Angeles Times for a short stint in the New York Times, and then you could buy it at bookstores or subscribe. It looks a little bit like the New York Times magazine. I just want to give people a visual as far as its size and, and how it feels. It's, it's, it's not the same, but it's, you know, compared to like something like Aperture, which is like this thing that you could hit someone on the head with and knock them unconscious. Um, <laughs> yes. California Sunday is, is, yeah, just something that could very easily slip into the San Francisco Chronicle or another newspaper and be that sort of fantastic supplement magazine there, like a little prize that you get. <laughs> yeah, so it's a general interest magazine. And so in each issue, you might find stories about... Uh, politics, social issues, science, technology, the environment, music. And so it was important for me to make sure that we always had emerging and established artists in each issue. Um, since the magazine was stories about people and the places that they inhabit, there really wasn't ever any studio studio photography, I think maybe because when I was at W, we shot in studios so often. And so I love seeing people's spaces that they that they live in. They tell so much about the person. And so the reason that I wanted to always have a wide range of emerging and established photographers in California Sunday was, you know, after working in New York for so long, I felt like I was working with the same photographers over and over, and there were only a handful of photographers allowed in the room. And part of the reason I fell in love with working in magazines was discovering photographers' work while thumbing through pages at the library. And so for me, it was such a 
dream to be able to feature, you know, photographers like Taylor K. Johnson or Chanel Stone when they've recently graduated from California College of the Arts next to artists like Katie Granin or Dina Lawson, uh, who are already household names. And uh, just thinking about how that might feel for the young artist whose images are alongside those who that appear in a museum um, at the beginning of their career. And I, I wanted to create that opportunity for these young artists. Let me just jump in and say that for people who don't know California Sunday Magazine, this is really one of the most, sorry if I once again embarrass you, but it's true. California Sunday just really had the most incredible photography. I mean, you know, you go through the issues and just blown away by the visual storytelling in this magazine. I mean, it was so obviously paramount. And, you know, I feel like I could show California Sunday to someone, a friend or family member who's not in any way in our world, and they would pick up on that. You know, they would be like, wow, this is really an incredible visual. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, it's really just mind-blowing. And then, you know, if you are in the industry, then you're like, oh, my God. I mean, the names of the people. I mean, you commissioned, worked with so many of my personal favorite photographers. I mean, the list of people that you, you got is really just extraordinary. And I know that you worked with some people before they became sort of more well-known and others... You worked with like Richard Mizrak, who was already Richard Mizrak. But I really am so curious and would would love you to talk about like making those decisions. Did you always know who like I want to assign this story to this person? Or did you have a story and sometimes have to go on a, a sort of walkabout to find an artist to to match? What was that sort of ratio there between knowing and and finding? I think it's a mix. It's always been a mix in California Sunday. I am so grateful to Richard Misrak for his early support of the magazine. Um, He was in Pop-Up Magazine, which is our live storytelling event, several years ago and really enjoyed the experience. We introduced him to one of his long-term collaborators, Guillermo Galindo. And so he was working on this new series or had been for several years. And we published it in the magazine in our second issue as our cover story, which no one had seen before. And I think that really helped put us on the map Mm -hmm. and helped other photographers feel confident in being commissioned by us or um, sharing their work with us. Because it was such an interesting experience starting the magazine. You know, the magazine was a mixture of photographers that I had never worked with that I had always dreamed of working with because working in fashion I mostly worked with fashion photographers except at W it was a mixture of fine art photographers and editorial photographers but I don't even like you know at Cal Sunday I don't think of anyone in those buckets I know photographers really get all wrapped up in well I'm not an editorial photographer but that doesn't really mean anything to me because a lot of our photographers aren't and so, well, let's just hold, hold on a second. Let's just clarify that because most gallery photographers, most fine art photographers who 
are doing good work, have books published or in galleries, maybe one of those things, maybe none of those things, but, you know, have some great output or known or really doing amazing work, shoot on assignment. That may not be the most forward thing on their website, but they shoot on assignment all the time. My artists shoot on assignment all the time. And they are very proud of that work. I'm very proud of that work. When you get to a certain point, you get hired to be you. So you're not hiring Jillian Laub or Eleanor Carucci or Greg Halpern or Brian Scupmott. I'm just naming various people. But, you know, these people don't get hired to shoot like someone else. I mean, Brian Scupmott's not being hired to, you know, shoot like her Brits. I mean, mm -hmm. they're hired to shoot in the style of their fine artwork. You know, that's what's, you know, when people like you get involved, that's what's making the visuals of these magazines so unbelievably interesting, in my opinion, is preserving that integrity. I think that many of the artists that you represent are, are ones that are so curious about the world and they're storytellers. They might not be someone who's you know, taking a still life in their studio of a flower. I think in school, students tend to get really wrapped up in what kind of a photographer, what kind of mm -hmm. a, a photographer they want to be, or mm -hmm. they're only thinking of their work as a book. And, you know, doing these portfolio reviews, they're really set on their work only being seen in book form. And I love working with students so much or, or photographers who have just graduated and they want to navigate the editorial world, but they don't necessarily know much about it. Or maybe they didn't think of themselves as visual storytellers in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to hire Greg Halpern to shoot like her Brits. His first assignment for the magazine, I think, was his first editorial commission or maybe the first few. And it's so lovely to work with someone who is such an, a talented artist already, but they might not mm -hmm. know how to navigate photographing people for a story, if there's a shot list, if it's mm -hmm. a new a new location where they've never been before. Working with Christine Potter has always been really fun because she does so much research. Um, so she becomes an expert. That's my girl. <laughs> she becomes an expert in the person that I've asked her to photograph or the location. Yep. Um, yep. I had her photograph the cover story for a story by Mark Eriks about paradise, which was at the time the biggest fire that California had ever seen. And she just became an expert in all mm -hmm. things paradise related and met everyone in town too. So let's, let's, um, let's go through the, the steps that you go through. Let's teach folks who are listening really how this unfolds. So you're at the magazine, you're working on the next issue. And I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, you find out from someone else at the magazine on the editorial text side of things what stories they're working on. And you have to then figure out who to hire to shoot for those stories. Is that right so far? So we get a lineup, uh, which is a list of all of the stories that we're going to include in that issue. And so we then get a draft of the piece. Once it comes in, 
Leo and I read the draft and we figure out how best to tell the story. Is it going to be through illustration or photography? And then once we figure that out, and if it is in fact photography and the story takes place in Bogota, I'll then do a deep dive of the photography scene in Bogota. I think for for a particular cover story that we did in Colombia, I found the photographer from a blog post that was from a few years behind, and his single image was so compelling to me that I, I think I messaged him through WhatsApp because his website was down, which I do not recommend, you know, having your <laughs> website not work if you're trying to be a freelance photographer. But in this yeah. case, in the only time in history, it did work. And, and so that's what we would do normally. Sometimes if there was a photographer that was based in New York, but the story was in LA, sometimes we would fly a photographer, but that, would, that was mostly when I worked in, in fashion. There were lots of planes all over the world. So it's funny. So I think it's like you think of those of us who aren't in the business, we think of like the writer and the photographer going off to do a story together. But of course, right, the story's done. And then then you need the visuals to go with something that's that's already been written or recorded yeah. on. Yeah. Um, and sometimes like with Greg Halpern, who photographed a story on a coal town in Wyoming, he went with Abe Streep, the writer, because there were a few events that were occurring while the writer was there that we wanted to get photographs of. So that was, okay. a, uh -huh. that was a time when they went together. But, you know, Abe was still figuring out the story. And so Greg right. kind of was on his own taking landscape photographs, um, because we would later tell him that it was the cover story. And then we got the draft back in and we had Greg's images, and we felt like we wanted more of a sense of place and the people who lived there. And so Greg went back for a week on his own with no shot list, just, you know, do your thing and tell the story of this place in Wyoming. And he came back with just remarkable images. So one of the things that I alluded to earlier was that when we did this, when we guest critiqued or whatever we did, whatever we're calling it, um, for the Magnum uh, mentees recently, that you just said a lot of things that were just so interesting to me. And they were sort of in this vein of, you know, how you think about or how you communicate with a photographer to make pictures that tell the story the, the, the way you want to tell it or the way you feel it needs to be told and, you know, how that affects point of view and focus. And I, I just wonder if you could talk about that a bit, sort of wide shots versus close-ups, interior, exterior, like, you know, how are those decisions made and how do you think about that and how do you communicate that to an, to an artist? California Sunday wasn't a templated magazine. So every single feature in the magazine over, you know, the course of 40 issues was completely different. And so what we wanted, Leo and I and Doug, we wanted when you're flipping through the magazine to always be surprised when you are looking at this story from, from one story to the next. And visually, they must look different, too. I mean, mm -hmm. that was just my rule. And so it was always the story comes first. And so you're reading the draft, and 
And then it is many of our stories. I think my my colleague Joy Shan has this beautiful quote about describing California Sunday stories and how she she often finds herself talking about them, the elements that make up a great novel or an engrossing movie, because you've got your complex characters, your rich sense of of place, an engaging plot, maybe there's some suspense in there. And and so I always kind of diagnose a story and think about how it should unfold almost like a movie because they're mm-hmm. so rich in scene and mm-hmm. sense of place, our stories. Mm-hmm. And so once I get a photographer on board, I have them read the draft. And then, you know, I talk about shot lists sometimes. I think there's some important things that we always would ask for. You know, we want to mm-hmm. get a sense of place of what what this town looks like in paradise. But then also I want you to discover things on your own and come back and show me what you learned because you're on the ground. I'm not. I'm at my desk. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at it from a reader standpoint of what I might want to see to understand Mm -hmm. this place fully instead of just, you know, a portrait of someone in their office sitting behind their desk. Well, what else do they do during the day? Show me their mm-hmm. daily life. They're, those small moments, This all of those small moments really add up to something big. And mm-hmm. so I think when talking to students and they're so honed in on, you know, a particular place, but there's no why and there's no kind of digging in, yeah. No, that was really interesting. It's true because I think I'm I was focused more on sort of like aesthetics and formal components and sort of, you know, what's the palette and why color versus black and white and these sorts of things because I think more in terms of individual images. It's not that I don't think in terms of bodies of work, of course I do, but you immediately sort of honed in on like, yeah, what is this story? And you know, if it's about this person and their place in this community, why do we never see their home? Or why do like it, it just was really interesting to me. You were just came at it from that sort of perspective. And I just loved I mean, I I think everything you said, I was like, Oh yeah, of course. I'm trained by the editors that I work with. Whenever we get a draft in, I immediately take my photo editor hat off and put myself in shoes of the reader. And Mm -hmm. think about what they might be curious about. So what does this landscape look like? Who are the main characters? Where do they live? Who do they interact with every day? Mm -hmm. What does their living room look like? What does their walk to work look like or school? All right. So you said um, something in passing a few minutes ago about pitching. Did photographers pitch you ideas? And how does that work? Because I think listeners might be interested in knowing like, can someone just reach out to a Jackie Bates and try and break in? Absolutely. I think a lot of magazines and newspapers have information on their websites for how to pitch. Many editors do portfolio reviews, and mm-hmm. that's a wonderful way to meet someone face-to-face, obviously, um, once that's safe again to do. But we would get pitches all the time that weren't yet photographed. And it was mm-hmm. a informed pitch that had information about what the story was, the characters involved, also answering the question, why now? And if it was a you know piece 
closely following one person or a family or town? How was it also shedding light on something on a national scale or Mm -hmm. international scale? But people can get to you. I mean, I think it's important to, because I hear all the time, you know, people feeling quite discouraged trying to break in. It's impossible to get the attention of art dealers, gallerists. It's impossible to get the attention of photo editors, photo directors. But that's not really true. I mean, I, I think what happens is sometimes that people like you and I can get really swamped. And so we don't always respond to everyone. Although I know for a fact that you and I both try and respond to as many people as we can. And I think we're both pretty good about that. But just because someone didn't respond doesn't mean they didn't note you. Exactly. It, you know, it may just mean that they are so underwater and they they were supposed to be home two hours ago to feed their kids or they're, they had to run to another meeting or this, that. I mean, people get sure. really busy, but don't be discouraged. You can cold submit to anyone at any time. And you know, if people like your work, they'll probably get back to you, but they might like your work and not get back to you, but note you. Yes. And you're in in their head. And, and so don't think there's no way just because you don't necessarily know what the person's reaction was, which I realize is very frustrating and, and feels terrible. Yes. I've been at it from both sides. As a photographer reaching out to editors, I know how it feels to have someone not get back to you. And as a photo editor, I and most of my friends all feel the same way, if not all of them. We look at all of our emails and it might take a second for us to get back to you. Or if there isn't a response, it's definitely cataloged in our strange brains. Mm -hmm. But I think the reality of it is editorial staffs are quite small. So I think there's such a delay because of the size of teams, but Mm -hmm. definitely follow up with the person. But I think be mindful of how often you're following up because sometimes you don't want to be haranguing someone. I've experienced it from both sides as a photographer reaching out to editors and as an editor receiving those emails. My inbox might be at 700 right now, but I do my best to go through every email. If I forgot to send a response, mm-hmm. it didn't mean that I didn't look at your website or PDF. Right. Yep. Um, just keep in mind that editorial teams are so small right now. They aren't what they used to be when I first started mm-hmm. out. I remember in college looking at the Vanity Fair masthead and seeing, I think, 10 people on the masthead at least. And I couldn't believe the amount of people that had a hand in photography there. And now across the board in every mm-hmm. magazine and newspapers across the country, there's just such smaller staffs, you know, and it's really hard to meet photographers, all the photographers in in person, because that's really ideal for me to meet photographers in person and, and build up that rapport, especially for the subject matter of the stories that we do at the magazine. For example, um, Erica Demon is a wonderful Bay Area artist, and we had met a bunch of times, and I didn't commission her for a few years later. I was waiting for that perfect assignment. And uh, it came in, and we were doing a story on Gwen Woods. Jaya Lee had reported a story for a year um, following Gwen Woods, whose son had been murdered by the SFPD, and really 
focusing on what the grieving process is like for a mother who's just lost her son um, after, you know, the cameras leave because it was covered uh, significantly in the media. And so I knew Erica would be perfect for the for the commission because I knew her, you know, personally, or I instead, I had met her several times and I understood what she was interested in, what kind of work she did personally, and her demeanor too. And for the first meeting with Gwen, Erica didn't bring her camera with her. Uh, They just had a coffee to build up that rapport because Gwen was really shy about having her picture taken and we wanted to be really sensitive to that. And by the end of their coffee meeting, I think Gwen said, yes, of course you can photograph me, come into my home. You know, she gave her full access because she really trusted Erica. So first of all, I I want to say, because it's very important that... (laughs) California Sunday Magazine is sort of on break right now. So now might not be the time to send you a million submissions because like every magazine in 2021, it's a very difficult landscape. And the magazine had a lot of support from the Emerson Collective. That support, for various reasons, has sort of been dialed back. And so there's trying to figure out sort of next steps. But meanwhile, there's something that you've mentioned a few times, which is pop-up magazine that you guys have been doing alongside California Sunday. And that is going like gangbusters and continues on. And despite the name is not actually a physical magazine. So tell people what pop-up magazine, the non-physical magazine is. Just to piggyback off of what you just said, as of the spring of 2020, we suspended regular publication and we're focusing our efforts fully on Pop-Up Magazine. We recently came out with something called Field Guide, which was an audio experiment and a visual journal. So everything that we're doing is with Pop-Up Magazine now. It's a really incredibly vibrant enterprise. I mean, you guys are doing so many incredible things. I mean, Field Guide is amazing. And um, you did something with Four Freedoms. And, you know, there's there's a lot going on. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to think that Pop-Up Magazine started as a hobby back in 2009. Um, Doug McGray, our editor-in-chief, who I've mentioned, started it with Derek Fagerstrom and Lauren Smith um, as a hobby. In, and the first show was at the 360-seat Bravo Theater in San Francisco. So let's just tell people what it is. It's it's a live. So Pop Up Magazine is it's a live magazine, and it's pretty (laughs) simple. It's created for a stage, a screen, and a live audience. And so contributors tell surprising, vivid, never before told multimedia stories, and and those stories are accompanied by illustration, animation, photography, film, and also on stage, there's an original score performed by our musical collaborators, Magic Magic. And so pop-up magazine pieces, they, they typically range from three to ten minutes long, and our shows draw inspiration from the magazine form. And so some of our the short pieces are similar to what you would find at the beginning of the magazine, the short 
front pages. We call them the front of book pages in a print magazine. But there's always a live twist to pop-up magazine, which makes it similar to California Sunday in that we are always reinventing the wheel, whatever we do at pop-up. Larry Sultan was in the first show and he shared a scrapbook, this family album that he found at a flea market. And so from very early on, photographers telling stories on stage and nothing is recorded. And so people feel really safe telling stories that aren't going to be published. It's maybe an aside, you know, this this uh, scrapbook that Larry Selton found at a at a flea market, Mm -hmm. nothing goes online after you have to be there to see it. It's such a remarkable kind of creative outlet for artists to be a part of and radio producers and filmmakers. Yeah, I mean, I want to just say what you're not saying, which is it's a big deal. I mean, I saw one at Town Hall in New York City, which is an incredible theater. Yeah, it was at Town Hall. Yeah, Um, yeah. And, you know, this is like a giant theater with hundreds and hundreds or thousands. I don't even know how many people Town Hall holds. But, you know, it was packed. It's an event. The contributors are just sort of at the highest level, just doing the most incredibly engaging, imaginative, creative things. And it's a really amazing experience. And I don't know when you guys are going to start doing them live again, but everyone you know, get on that mailing list for Pop-Up Magazine to go (laughs) if you can. (laughs) Our plan, you know, as knock on wood, but our plan is to start up again in November of this year. And so it's been almost two years of not being in theaters like BAM or um, the Ace Theater in LA and those theaters hold thousands of people. And so Mm -hmm. it's just remarkable to think of, you know, this starting as a tiny hobby and then the way that we've been able to expand and sell out tickets um, in minutes. It's, I feel really lucky to be part of it. And the experimental, you know, we, when making California Sunday, we know it's a printed object um, mm-hmm. Except when we did the photo issue, we expanded the the anchoring photo essay into a photography show at Aperture Gallery. Mm-hmm. Every story at Pop Up Magazine is different, and we're we think about the theatricality of each story in such a different way than something that's right. just on the printed page. Yep. And there's often audience participation. Mm-hmm. Like there was once a story called One Breath. That was three minutes and 38 second audio profile of a free diver. And that was the exact length of her record breaking dive. And so the story included audience participation, you know, asking how long can you hold your breath? And then we also had these lighting cues that mimicked the underwater descent into darkness. And one, one story that I love so much by Samin Nosrat, who's this amazing, if you don't have the book, Salt Fat, (laughs) acid heat she's a chef and author and she's remarkable and a friend of pop-up mag but she looked at the history of how war and and international conflict have affected the flavors on your plate and so Mm -hmm. that was demonstrated by putting flavored marshmallows and a little baggie in the program and so we said don't don't open this until Samin's story and then she kind of walked you through the different flavor profiles of cinnamon and the history oh, with God, cinnamon. That's incredible. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's a little bit of everything. You never know what you're going to expect when you go to a pop-up magazine show. And I love that. 
about what we do. So a soft landing when you guys stopped publishing California Sunday because of pop-up. Um, that's a pretty good deal, I think. Um, yes. Bad. I mean, I know is you know, of course, California Sunday is your baby, but, but to continue on with this offshoot that's just such a spectacular creation is really wonderful, I think. Yeah, and pop-up, you know, since it started in 2009, Cal Sunday was almost like the little the little cousin of right. it. We had to make it something. And my job was easy at Pop-Up. You know, the creators, my team had already made it this this thing that had this cult following. So I just stepped into that. Right. Well, I think we, we were approaching the hard time limit I try and impose, leave them wanting more. So Thank you so much for spending time with me and with the folks listening and teaching us all stuff about what goes on on the world of you photo editors and photo directors. I really appreciate it. So thanks, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.